Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solace. And with me, as always, is my very, very talented friend who has a holiday heart of gold. She is the mixtress DC Gina. <laughs> See, it's all nice and sugary this time. I know. I kind of love that. I'm like, you must have wrote that before yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, it doesn't matter. All the truth is the truth. Um, so we know, um, or most of us know, that December is the most popular month for charitable giving. And according to uh, our research, uh, <laughs> our research, uh, vague, nice and vague, um, we Americans, yeah, we give seven times more than our European counterparts. Seven times. And uh, for the uh, stereotypical, kind, and easygoing Canadian, well, they only give us half as much as we do. I think they're getting a little stingy up there in those northern parts. Um, So we know the what, but the real interesting question is the why. Why do people give? Well, studies show there are several reasons, and here's just a few. Giving releases dopamine in the brain, which of course, makes us happy. Same thing can be said about sex and exercise. Mm-hmm. Just saying. <laughs> um, I'm leaving about eight jokes out. Uh, <laughs> I'll take the sex. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> it was the giving part. Anyway, donors, donors, <laughs> back receiving, to donors. Giving, receiving. <laughs> yeah, donors whatever. feel empowered when they see um, their gifts actually doing the good that the charity promises. That makes sense because p- typically you give to those charities um, that you feel um, their work, you have a, a personal or an emotional connection to. That all makes sense, right? And then giving also makes us feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Obviously, that also is going to make us feel better about ourselves. Um, and lastly, which I hope we can accomplish with this episode, I hope, um, that donors are inspired to give by something they've heard in the media. I hope they hold that true today. Which, with no further ado, I'd like to go right into today's designated drinker, if you don't mind. Please welcome to the show today's designated drinker. She is the advocacy and organizing director for Bread for the City, a nonprofit helping to provide food, clothing, medical care, legal, and social services to reduce the burden of poverty in the Washington, D.C. area. Please welcome to the show, Aja Taylor. Hi, Welcome to the show. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. Hi. So so glad to have you. Yeah. Um, So I want to just kick off the show. I want to jump right in. Tell us a little bit more about Bread for the City and what it means to play the role that you do in advocacy and organizing. Sure. So like you said, Bread for the City is a nonprofit organization. It's been around for a little over four decades. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. Started off uh, kind of in a church basement with some well-meaning folks who were providing, I would say the lore, the folklore of Bread for the City, uh, is a few folks who were providing services actually to sex workers. So started off as a medical clinic. It was called the Zacchaeus Free Clinic. Um, And as you can imagine, people were coming in for medical care um, and had other things that were going on right now called the social determinants of health. Um, Yeah, that when people were coming in with certain illnesses, it was also clear that maybe they didn't have access to housing or they didn't have access to um, income outside of sex work or they didn't have access to safety. And so services were built um, in 
Um, and so, yeah, now we are a robust wraparound services um, organization. We have a holistic um, community medical center. We are a federally qualified health center. Our, legal, our medical clinic is. Um, we provide civil legal services. So we do eviction defense, uh, family law, public benefits law, um, and social services. So we do do some case management, a lot of programming um, for folks who need it and want it. Um, yeah, and then there's uh, my role. So I'm the advocacy and organizing director. Uh, our department has existed as a core program only uh, since 2015. And it was as part of Bread for the City's desire to put our money where our mouth is, frankly, um, when it came to um, committing to racial equity work. So um, when it came to, you know, doing this racial equity work, we were talking the talk about what were the causes of poverty. But when you looked at where our investments were, they were still primarily on the direct services side. And not that direct services are not critical and are not important, but when it came to the root causes of why we were an organization seeing 33,000 plus people a year, um, we weren't going to direct service our way out of that. Right? So it was the difference of being proactive as opposed to reactive. That's right. So That's you, right. The money was going into, here's a problem, and we're like, but as opposed to going here, let me let us work forward thinking. That's right. That's so. right. And it really was focused on the alleviating the symptoms sure. part, right, or reducing the burden. And yeah. while that's important, yes. right, just like you need an emergency room, you also need diagnosticians, right? Yeah. So you Wait, also need. What? We need preventative care. <laughs> what the? Oh, I know. I know. Look at you. Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't. Yeah. Wait till it's a horrible problem. I know. Yeah, I know. Don't let, you know, Lindsey Graham hear us. But Oh, good Lord. I know, if he's still alive. Lord, he's still got time. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, um, yeah. So I look Tis at the season of giving. <laughs> yeah, for real. Okay, come on, Jesus. So, so, yeah, that is my role is really like in this preventative care space, right? So in the space of what are the policies and practices enacted by the government, um, and how can people who are most impacted by um, policies that are racist, that are classist, be at the core of the solutions? Wow. You know, just the little stuff. <laughs> just little stuff. Just a little shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's amazing. So how did you find yourself in this space? What drew you to advocacy? Yeah, I would say being born black and a woman um, is probably what did it. So I was a person who um, advocated for myself and others when I was in elementary school. Um, I was in a fairly progressive school district, but even then being black and um, sort of in like gifted and talented programs where you know, would say you're the fly in the milk. So there are very few uh, black and uh, or even other students of color um, inside of the programming. And so having that have an impact on me. So like in fourth grade, having a teacher call my parents in and she wanted me expelled because she said there was no way that I wrote um, this book report. Wow. I know. It was on a, a freaking Chinese cricket. It was not like I wrote a NASA. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was not like, you know, giving PhD level work. But I guess, you know, she was like, this little fourth grader could not have made subject and verb agree. Um, <laughs> and yeah, called my parents down and, and was like demanded my mother tell her like why she would write my paper for me. As if my mother with 17,000 degrees would be writing at the level of a fourth grader. So yeah, yeah lots of um, racist and insulting things in my life. Yeah, um, Having friends um, 
and family who are involved in the carceral system um, and seeing the injustices there. So yeah, I've been organizing since I was 14, uh, but bread was the first time I got paid for organizing work. Wow. Wow. So it's just kind of in your blood. I you mean, know, like, I, if you I, think I, how I, young you were and you just, if you, if you, some people, I mean, some people, if you just look at who you are mm-hmm. as like a person, like sometimes there's just like, so I was going to, went to art school. That was always going to be that. I colored all the time. I love those <laughs> things. Right. And it's so minor compared to where, what you do. But I mean, the truth is, is that there's certain things that are just inertly within us, like just yeah, part of sure. our being. For sure. I think that in some ways, so yes, advocating for like fairness is like one of my core values. Yeah. At the same time, I hesitate to say it's in my blood. And this is more so because, you know, at this point, I've been doing this particular work for 10 years. Yeah. And though one could look and say, oh, here are lots of things that have shifted or have changed. There's still so much that hasn't. Sure. Um, even now, um, the mayor is working to put in some really harmful things into a bill that's supposed to be about, um, you know, or that is ostensibly supposed to be about helping the migrants that the um, uh, that the Republicans, the yeah, yeah, have been sending in. But not only are there things in there that are harmful for the migrants, there are things that are harmful for our existing um, homeless population, the majority of which, at least in D.C., is black. And so, it, but this is something that we fought against, like some of the same language, things we fought against four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, and here she is trying to bring it back. And so it's frustrating. Um, you know, I'm like, yeah, is it in my blood or am I just like tired of people trying to screw over black people? And I wish that wasn't something like I wish my job didn't need to exist. Sure. Um, I wish that I wasn't the one doing it. I would much rather be laying on a beach drinking one of Gina's concoctions. But, <laughs> you know, Actually, you know, it's it's sometimes what you're doing, right? It's like as a service, right? Is a calling. It's a call to service, and like I hear what you say by not in your blood, but when you have that like that rumble in just your core of like that feeling that you have to say something, right? That's the service that you're providing to your community in order to make it a better and stronger community with better values and and eyes wide open. And it's a lot of work, and I commend you and I think that it's like it it is what this generation and all of us need to keep doing so that the young ones see the better and they don't see the same and I think and I commend you for doing it because it sucks a lot of the days of the week (laughs) yeah you know it sucks no one's listening to you your own mayor goes against you you know what I mean I get it you know what I mean I understand and like like it's really hard and you're like what are you doing why are you aligning with everybody else, you know? I see what you mean. So I, I find it very commendable what you're doing. And Bread for the City is an insanely cool um, program that has, like, literally given so many different ways to, um, you know, you're talking about the homeless population for sure. I, I do a lot of work with uh, D.C. Central Kitchen, and the homeless population in this city has always been something that's been um, just, it's a lot. It's a lot that goes on, and... And it's not that hard to become homeless in Washington, D.C. It's, no. it's really, some people, it's paycheck to paycheck. And I just think that, like, what you're doing is so important. And as you're bringing up these points, I feel like push even harder. And if they, you're saying that like, the mayor's going to put something in a bill that you're going to refight, you know, 
definitely make it known and like, you know, let's put it up there and be like, this is not good. And here's why. Yeah. You know? And I would really encourage folks to read. So the Washington Legal Clinic for the Homeless, um, WLCH.org, they have a blog. And one of their attorneys, Amber Harding, wrote a really great blog that really lays out very clearly what the negative impacts will be um, to our current uh, folks receiving homeless services um, and the sort of the cumulative effect on um low-income D.C. residents. So, so we'll, definitely we'll, check it out. So what we'll do is we'll make sure we get that link from you so that in case our listeners didn't catch it, we'll put them designatedrinker.show absolutely in the episode notes as well. So I'll, someone would have to do is scroll down to get to them and it would be that close. So Gina, I think this might be a great time for us to take a break and for you to serve up this week's tips and tricks. What do you say? Sure. Let's do it. All right. It's time for a holiday trick. Now, who says that holidays just have to be celebrated with a warm, cozy sweater when it could be something that's like spicy and delicious? And, you know, maybe you live somewhere where it's warm. Celebrate Christmas everywhere, right? Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever your holiday might be. Uh, This is something that I find to be like really delicious. And I love this. And I keep this in my refrigerator pretty much from fall to like February for cocktails that friends come over or just, you know, if I'm gonna make something non-alcoholic for my kids. So let's get started with this. What you're gonna do is you're gonna take um, one and a quarter cups or one and a half cup of sugar, and then you're gonna add what you like, right? So I'm gonna add fresh cinnamon stick, and then I'm gonna use green cardamom. And I know that if you follow me that you have a designated drinker show, you have definitely seen us use green cardamom before. So we're gonna take it, we're gonna put it in there, five to six pods, and then we're gonna use star anise whole. Now, when you're in the store, there'll be there'll be there'll be anise that is ground. You don't want that. You want the whole star anise. They're so cute. They look like little stars and stuff. And you can even use them for your decorations. But you know, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But I think that they're fun. Anyway, so if you put that in there, and now we're going to take a citrus element, which is something that's super important. You're going to take an entire peel of an orange. Now you're going to get a peeler, and you're going to start, and you're going to go really, really slow. And the reason why is because you're going to try to get that peel in one big, um, long, and they call this a horse neck, uh, horse neck peel because when you go to take it out later, you're not looking for like little, little um, like filaments or, you know, pieces and like nobody wants that in their drinks, right? And then to this, you're going to add, you know, uh, you're, sorry, you don't know. And to this, you're going to add a cup and a half of water if you want a little bit, um, Looser, you're gonna add a, um, a little bit more water, a little less, you know, you, you want a little bit thicker, you can add uh, a little less water. You wanna shake it up a little bit, you know, you could always use a little red wine. That's crazy, right? But it's delicious. What you're left with after it reduces down on the stove over a medium heat is this beautiful syrup and you have this indicator, which I like to call the translucent orange peel. And when you can see through it, then you have a delicious syrup. Catch me on the other side for the cocktail. All right. Um, so everyone knows you're going to go to designatedrinker.show for the tips and tricks and how-tos on the recipe, or you can always, just like I said earlier, scroll down and you'll get to those notes. Oh, my God, Gina, speaking of magic, this syrup is magically delicious. Um, I, you know, it's perfect. It's so perfect. Just easy breezy, perfect way to spice up our holiday cocktails. I'd say it's, I don't know, maybe like a tropical oasis in the midst of the holiday mayhem. (laughs) I think we should copyright that. What do you think? 
Anyway, this does bring us to the end of part one with Aja Taylor, the advocacy director for Bread for the City. But if you're anything like me and Gina, one round is just never enough. So go top off that drink, throw on your bikini, and get ready for part two of this episode as we continue our boozy banter and Gina shares a delicious beet-worthy cocktail recipe using her tasty, spicy, tropical syrup. Whew, that's a mouthful, but you know you're not going to want to miss it, so hurry back. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.